0: Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I hope you had an amazing Easter weekend, and I'm so glad that you are tuning back in to hear the newest episode. For this episode, we're going to be starting the second chapter of Esther. If you tuned in last week, you know that I absolutely love Esther. She has always been a role model of mine. I looked to her story, among others, to determine what a biblical woman should look like and how she should lead. Esther's story was one of the first places that encouraged me to dig into different women of the Bible, and with that newfound passion came Grace Talks. I want to shout out Beth Morgan and her Bible study of Esther that gave me so much material to look into last year when I first really studied the book of Esther. And while I'm at it, shout out to my mama, because she's the one who bought me that Bible study book in the first place. Who knows? Maybe one of these days, I'll be writing one of my own. But enough about that. Before we start reading, let me set the stage for you. Remember, King Xerxes banished Vashti for disobeying him during that one huge party. Well, now four years have passed, and the king launched an attack on Greece, and it failed miserably. So this next chapter is starting after he returns home from losing battles and a war. Instead of returning to a wife, he returns to the reminders of a failed marriage. This is a man with a really bruised ego, tired and probably lonely after four years of war. This isn't to say that he didn't have concubines, but companionship is something that he likely was lacking. So knowing all of this, let's pull out our Bibles and read chapter two of Esther. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem of the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashdai. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, Shimei the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehehokim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, who he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's term came to go into King Xerxes, She had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there, and in the morning, return to another part of the harem to the care of Shayashagas, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashdai. and the king gave her a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, but Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthena and Teresh two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And the report, And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the Book of the Annals in the presence of the king. Whew, okay. (laughs) That was a lot. So let's quickly review what just happened. King Xerxes was lonely. His servants suggest the biggest season of The Bachelor yet. Women went through crazy beauty treatments, tried to win his favor, but instead of receiving a rose, they received the royal treatment of the harem. Esther, however, stays humble, takes advice, wins over all of the people at the palace, and finally wins over the king himself. Happy ending. Wait, no, not ending. This is the beginning of the story. Then a plot to kill the king, Esther's cousin, who is more like her father, is the one to save her newfound husband. So what can we learn from this? Well, let's first look at Xerxes. Here we have a man with some anger issues and those anger issues cost him a wife and they don't win him a war. James 119 says, my dear brothers and sisters take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Xerxes and his counselors were quick to anger and rash to make an irreversible decision. And then we find out that doesn't work out so well for him. He ends up wanting another wife. Christians are supposed to think in terms of longevity. We aren't supposed to seek out short-term satisfactions, instant gratification, and respond with emotion. We know that our future is eternal. We have a God who is eternal, and that we should treat other people with respect and love, even when it's hard. And these aren't just some rules. They aren't trying to rob you of any joy. Being slow to speak and slow to anger doesn't just protect the people around you, but it protects yourself, too. Anger is a lot like fire, and I am sure you have heard that comparison before. It burns the things around it. That heat comes from somewhere, and when you struggle with anger, that source of heat is coming from you, and it can leave you feeling burnt up, exhausted, and alone. The good news is that God helps with all of emotions, the scared ones, the anxious ones, the happy ones, and yeah, the angry ones. John 14:27 says, "Peace I leave with you; my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid." Xerxes finds himself alone and in need of a companion. But God never leaves you alone. He's always there, ready to offer you the comfort and peace only he can give. It says that I do not give to you as the world gives. Any satisfaction that this life has to offer you is temporary. If you get that promotion, you're going to start looking at the next one. If you get that number in your bank account, you're going to have a new number you're going to want to reach. If you make that next milestone in your life, you're going to start wanting to work towards the next. It's like a game of shoot and ladders, right? There's always another ladder to climb, but faith isn't like a the ladder. There isn't some kind of journey that you have to take to reach some sort of unattainable God. Jesus came down to you before you ever even started climbing and he offers you the chance to have him with you every step of the wrong, or every step of the way. When you have God's peace that comes from knowing your identity, from receiving help from the Holy Spirit, your anxieties and frustrations at this life recede a little bit and he can give you the strength of self-discipline to watch what comes out of your mouth and how you treat people and even how you speak to yourself. Another thing we can look at is all of those beauty treatments those ladies had to go through. A whole year of it, sheesh. (laughs) I'm not sure if it was fun and glamorous and felt like pampering or if it was just miserable and weird, but like, I mean, I do know there was probably some serious insecurities and jealousy among all of the women. They were trying to make themselves look perfect, to make themselves worthy of a king. I know that sounds familiar in more ways than one, so let's start with the physical. We all face our flaws every day. Look in the mirror, and then also we absorb images of what society thinks we should look like every day. It might be photoshopped, it might be plastic or silicone, it might be fake, but we still compare ourselves to the people we see online and the people we see in our own lives all the time. Number one, you were made in the image of God, and you are loved by the creator who made you. But number two, who cares about what you look look like on the outside? As Proverbs 31 tells us, charm and beauty are deceptive, and they don't last. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What you look like on the inside counts way more than on the outside, which brings us to the second half of this. Let's move into the spiritual. I said earlier that they were trying to make themselves look perfect, to make themselves worthy of a king. We can do this with God, with our king. We can be so busy trying to be perfect, trying to erase all of our sin to make ourselves presentable to him, but we can't do that on our own. That isn't the order we're supposed to go in. Jesus told us that he came for the sick, not the healthy, because it's the sick who need the doctor. You don't heal yourself before going to the doctor, do you? No, so don't do that with God. He wants to help you. He loves you exactly where you are, bottom of the ladder and all. He wants to help you overcome the sin in your life. He wants to help you overcome the emotions that wreck you every day. He wants to help you overcome the shame you've held onto, the mean words you sometimes say, the habits you want to break. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to struggle and fail and then never come into his presence. He wants you to enter into his presence so that he can help you and you can succeed and experience the freedom and peace he so readily hands out. Now, let's go ahead and just acknowledge the situation they're all in. I know I jokingly called it the bachelor earlier, but we got to kind of acknowledge the, the yuckiness of the situation going on. Long story short, everyone's sexuality was at King Xerxes' disposal. Young women and girls were separated from their families and even potentially possible betrothals for this Bride hunt. And if you look at the historical records, it wasn't just the female population being mistreated. The historian uh, Herodotus, I hope I'm saying that right, and probably not. We'll see, reports that five hundred boys were taken away from Babylonia and Assyria each year and castrated for service in the king's court. So messed up. And in the middle of this whole scene enters our main character, Esther. Esther was an orphan Jew. She had experienced hardship in her lifetime, but hardship didn't exclude Esther from her purpose. If anything, it prepared her for it. Notice how often this chapter says that Esther gained the favor of the people around her. Esther gained their favor because she had grown in character. James 1 verses 2 through 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Hardship for a non-believer can build a dependence on substances or instant gratification of pleasures. It can expand frustrations. It can demand revenge. Hardship for a Christian can build up a dependence on God, expand your empathy for others, and demand growth of your character. Also notice that Mordecai tells Esther to hide her nationality and family background. Why? Jewish prejudice was likely already in action. They were originally captives in that land and likely they were looked down upon in that society. But for someone to hide their Jewishness, they would have assimilated and chosen to stop practicing large parts of their faith. A big part about being a Jew was living in a way that set them apart from the rest of the world. They lived differently. They had different laws and customs. But even in doing this, God didn't forget about them. He now has an insider in the palace, Queen Esther. So what about you? Do you know your identity? Do you display your identity? And I don't just mean the cross necklace you wear or the Bible verse you put in your bio. I do that too, uh, but that's not the point. Do your actions live out your identity? Let me hit you with some examples. If your identity is that you are super into fitness and healthy living, then your actions should show that you enjoy exercise and eating well and getting in all those nutrients. If your identity is that you are the best student ever, then people should be able to witness you studying, asking questions in the classroom and tutoring the people who don't understand it so easily. See where I'm going with this? When your identity is in Christ, people should be able to witness actions that back that up. When your actions don't back up your identity, That's kind of confusing for the people around you. That's not to say that the person who loves fitness and healthy living doesn't sometimes enjoy ice cream out with friends, or the person who loves school doesn't sometimes choose to watch a movie instead. Our whole identity as a Christian won't always involve the church, mission trips, um, reading our Bibles, right? We would never reach people outside of the church if we always lived in the physical building. And there's also going to be a lot of times when. We mess up and make mistakes, but who we are is made up of our habits. Who do you work towards being? Do your habits match up with your identity? What's cool is that even when we do mess up, God never checks out on us. He is always there calling us back to him, and God is in the business of using imperfect people to carry out his will. Exhibit A is the girl talking to you right now. I make mistakes on the daily. Yet, God can use this little podcast to reach a few hearts now and again. We should also take a second look at Esther before and after her crown. Something that hasn't changed about her is that she still follows the instructions of Mordecai, like she did in her youth. She remains humble, even as she is married to easily one of the most powerful men of the time period. Even if he does have anger issues and acts like a weird toddler sometimes, he's still powerful. She's queen of the Persian Empire. And she's still open to advice. So what does that tell us? Two things. First, independence does not equal significance. The world tells us to be strong and independent women. And that's great. That's a lot better than being told to be weak and codependent. Thing is, is we aren't called to be independent. No one is. In fact, God looked at Adam in Genesis 2 and said, it is not good for man to be alone. We're supposed to have a community, to have people to lean on and love and encourage each other in faith, and we're also supposed to be dependent on God. To be significant involves being significant to somebody, and you can't be significant to somebody if you don't have anybody, and you can't be eternally, eternally significant without God. The second thing is that humility does not equal weakness. For some reason, humility gets a bad reputation, but simply stated, humility takes strength. Humility is also a lot easier when you compare yourself to a perfect God instead of comparing yourself to the people around you. I suggest the former, and so does Jesus often. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Jesus says that those who place themselves first will be last in the kingdom of heaven, and those who are last will be first. Basically, just stay humble. So lastly, let's go ahead and look at the ending. Why would Mordecai, a Jew, choose to save a king? I mean, the obvious one is that Esther is now the queen, so it seems a bit precarious for her, but also Jeremiah 29, 7 says, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We are supposed to pray for the nation and the city that we live in. We're supposed to encourage its well-being for our sake and for the sake of others. And then go ahead and double check real quick at the end of the story. Was Mordecai rewarded for for saving the king's life? No? Seems unfair, doesn't it? Well, that might come up in the next few chapters. Who knows? Uh, But the same thing could apply to your life, you know? maybe you feel like you're a good person, a good Christian who hasn't been rewarded for your efforts for trying hard. Let me give you a spoiler alert. If you're a Christian, you already have your reward. Fast forward a few chapters of your own story and you're going to find yourself at heaven's gates. So that is everything for chapter two. Don't forget to review the podcast, uh, subscribe on YouTube, like and follow any of the social media accounts. Um, Share the episodes with your friends. So uh, yeah, feel free to do any of that. I hope you join next time as we continue talking about Esther. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, anything else, I'm more than happy to answer it as best as I can. And if you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.